Hey, hey, what's going on, crew? Welcome to another edition of Clinic Grow Secrets. This is your host, Jeff VK, with the Clinic Grow Secrets show. And as you guys know, this is the central location for learning how to get more new patients, make more profit per patient, and keep them as long as humanly possible. And if you're a new listener, just wanted to remind you that the show only grows on word of mouth. And so we ask you, if you do like the show, to pay the fee. And the fee is simple. We don't ask for any monetary donations or anything like that. Although if you do want to Venmo us, we will take that. All we ask is if you get value from the conversation today, we ask you to share the show with someone who would get value from it, whether it's a colleague, a friend, someone that you know in your life who would get value from the information. That's how we grow. We grow on word of mouth. We don't do ads. We don't do anything like that. And we believe in true value exchange. And so today we have another exciting guest on the show. And to, I'm honestly like stoked to interview this individual today because she has helped me in my personal life and professional life. And she has helped thousands of other people inside of her career. And so I'd like to welcome Dr. Rhonda Nelson to the show. Dr. Rhonda, hey. great to see you. Great to see you too. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored. You have such a, a backstory, you know, just learning about your story and what you've been through and kind of just your journey to today has just been um, something that's really inspired me reading about, honestly. And so today we're going to talk all different things of health, wealth, and just life with Dr. Rhonda. And I'm excited to give her the opportunity, first and foremost, to share her story on the show. And just really, how did, how did we even get here today? You know, your story is so encompassing. And uh, I want to start from way back, you know. So what does the journey look like for you, Dr. Rhonda? Well, I was born a poor white girl. No, I'm kidding about that. Uh, I was uh, born in Northern California. I uh, My number one dream was to grow up and get married and have a family. I love babies. I love all things mother, motherhood. I would be pregnant eternally if they could give you a shot and let you stay pregnant six months, be six months gestation. I would stay there for the rest of my life. I'd be so happy. Um, I just got into, um, accounting and bookkeeping. I've always had a business, uh, starting from when I was 16, I either had a job or I was self-employed and I started, you know, squeezing out babies, had four kids pretty quickly. And, um, by the time I guess my first three kids, um, I was working in some bookkeeping, doing some business accounting for small businesses. They would bring me their box of shoe box, uh, receipts, and I would go through those receipts and then poof, turn them out a profit and loss statement. And uh, loved it. I just loved it. And then my oldest daughter was diagnosed with terminal bone cancer. And for those of you that know, she was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, which is eh, kind of like getting pancreatic cancer um, diagnosis. So there's less than 10% chance of survival. And the uh, it metastasizes during chemotherapy to the lungs. That's the normal trajectory of the disease. So you know, that was not like your, your best day in the world when you find that out about your oldest child, 10 years old. So we started down the road of uh, chemotherapy because my husband at the time said, listen, because I said to him, listen, I can get this. Like, I, I, I know there's got to be alternative ways to do this. I know I can do it. And very wisely, he said to me, listen, I don't, if something were to happen, I don't want you living with the guilt that you caused it or a lack of knowledge on your part that you caused it. And that was a good valid point and I couldn't argue with it. So we did do chemotherapy, but I also did two other things um, in the, from an alternative medicine standpoint. And one was I gave her shark cartilage, which was in vogue at the time. This is in the early nineties. 
And the second thing I did was I gave her carrot juice. Those are the only two things that I knew to do. Now I know so much more than that, but at the time that was all I knew. And they were shocked that she had no metastasis to the lungs. They were also made fun of me and they laughed and would, I would hear them snicker and the nurses in the ER and the peds onk, you know, they be laughing about the crazy girl down the crazy woman down the road with her champion juicer and her 10 pound bag of carrots. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm fighting for my child over here. Like you guys go laugh and do whatever, but you know, that's on you someday. Karma is a, you know, so she made it. One's supposed to live and she made it. She's now uh, 40 and has five children of her own. And that they said, she'll never have children. She'll never have blah, blah, blah. She's like the kid with 27 lives. She just keeps overcoming the obstacles. But she, that journey was just such a gift. I wouldn't want to do it again. That's for sure. But she's the reason that I then went hard into the world of alternative or functional medicine. So I went off, got a master's degree and a PhD and and I realized that there was a lot more to this whole thing. So I, I got, dove in, got things, opened up a practice, had, was a super successful practice, uh, obviously focusing. My passion was moms and babies and kids. And so I did all that and, uh, you know, things are going really well. And I thought, oh, this is piece of cake. I'm good at business. I had all that good business background. I knew how to grow and scale and build a successful business. And I had a six, eight week wait list all the time and a really lean crew, but people who really cared, you know, great team. And I thought, I'm going to open another business. Like, gosh, what's the heck with that? If I got one good one. I can do another one. So I opened up a second business in a completely unrelated field, had nothing to do with alternative medicine. And this is where the story gets ugly. <laughs> it was ugly before, but it had a good ending. This one really, really got ugly. So I opened up this other business. It was in the medical aesthetics space and doing some body contouring work that required a class two uh, device. <laughs> and I opened it up and two months after I started and I'm a, over $250,000 in debt now with, oh, about $15,000 on monthly overhead. I find out that in the state that I was in at the time that I, they had changed the laws. I didn't know it. And I was effectively practicing medicine without a license. Big problem. So I literally called a friend of mine and I said, I don't know what to do. I need help. I, I got, I got to, I got to get out of here. I, I got to get out of the state. I got to move this stuff out of the state. Cause I'm not going to go to jail. And so he showed up with a U-Haul truck and at midnight, we loaded the truck up, got the equipment out of the state, moved it to a completely different state where I knew no one, but the $15,000 a month just kind of kept rolling in. And pretty soon I got 30,000 in debt and then I'm 45,000 and I have no income, no. And I don't know anyone. I don't have a website. I don't have a name. I have nothing except this equipment and all this overhead. And it was like hemorrhaging, like I was bleeding money bad. Well, I had to get it from somewhere. So what every self-respecting business person does at the time is you don't pay what you absolutely don't have to pay. So I put all of my, at the time I was obviously doing functional medicine and all of my supplement purchases, I put on uh, net 90 thinking, oh, oh yeah, I'll have it done by then. Well, it ended up being net 24 months. 
And I didn't pay my payroll taxes for a year, a little over a year. So that wasn't fun when the IRS person came knock, knock, knocking on the door. So when it was all said and done, I was almost three quarters of a million dollars in debt. And I thought, I'm never going to get out of this. What a dumb, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. How am I, and the, the self-talk, you know, the negative, like you're so stupid. What were you thinking? You've now put your family, your home, your assets, everything's in jeopardy. You now have a business in a whole nother state and you're trying to run a functional medicine clinic. Crazy, crazy. So I ended up, I, you know, I think when you've been through and Jeff, you and I were talking about this before we got on the air. And that is that when you've had a really hard thing you've had to go through, it just gives you the resilience to be able to get in and say, I'm going to figure this crap out. I'm not going down with this ship. No way. So I started bailing water and I'm like, my voice is getting quivery and I'm like having a hot flash <laughs> just thinking about it because it was so traumatic. And, um, it took me about three years and I ended up growing that clinic into the number one clinic in that market, in that space and, uh, getting all of that debt paid, not, not minus a, a lot of interest I paid, but I got all the debt paid and the clinic continues to be super profitable and, you know, it's for sale. <laughs> if anybody wants to buy a really profitable clinic. But, um, yeah, I just, I love business and I think that's why I couldn't give up. And now I own two businesses. I now have kind of transitioned and do a lot of business coaching along with clinical work. Um, and so that it's, it's funny how it just kind of comes full circle and it was all because of, um, my sweet little daughter. That's, that's an incredible story. Um, you went against the, went against the grain as many people do listening to the yeah. show, right? Yeah. The, the non-traditional totally way right? And they were actually stunned by what you were able to accomplish by not following the traditional way. Yeah. So you, so you got your, your daughter healthy back on her feet. You start this, you got this business that's just absolutely booming. And then you transitioned into a, a completely different industry. What was the drive behind that there? Like, why did you want to go into body contour? Because I knew that it was profitable. Mm. It was just I mean, business. It was just a business decision. I knew that it was profitable, but the other, the other part of that was too, that I, I had so many menopausal women coming to me mm -hmm. that had that lower belly fat. And, you know, I mean, it's just that fat when we, when those hormones shift in menopause, that belly fat just goes on lockdown. You know, I just say, literally, it just goes on lockdown. The body's not going to get rid of it. Diet, exercise, nothing gets rid of it. And they were really frustrated by that. And I thought, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be a way. And then I found this particular, you know, treatment and it just works super well. And I thought, okay. So I was referring people out. And then finally I went, well, dang, this is a great business opportunity. I'm referring people out. Why don't I do that? And then I can make the revenue from it and I can grow the business. And so that's kind of where I got into trouble. So I think it was too, too, initially it was because I wanted to help those menopausal women. But, but when I pulled the trigger and said, yes, uh, I'm going to start the business. It was because I knew that I could serve them, but I also saw it as a great business opportunity. Makes complete sense. You kind of had like already an existing audience and an existing need referring yes. out. So yeah. say, Hey, instead of going horizontal outward, I'll just go vertical. Correct. That's what yeah, I did. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. You alluded to one thing that, you know, you I'm sure coach on in your community and we coach on inside of our community, especially a new business owner about the beast of overhead, right? And how oh. in, important it is to stay lean 
you know, mm-hmm. in those situations. Mm-hmm. So I know starting any clinic is no, no, not the cheapest thing ever, right? You know, oh. we have online businesses that are a lot more, you know, efficient to start up in terms of cost standpoint, but from somebody like who's brand new to the business space and they're listening and they're like, you know, I, I do have a steep overhead, right? Like what would be some things that you would maybe look out for to kind of minimize that overhead or anything like that in the beginning? Well, often what happens, what I see with practitioners is they get real Google, Google eyed and starry eyed and want this big, beautiful office with all the big windows and all the fancy things and the chairs and the couches, and they want it all furnished nice. And if you provide good service, patients don't care. What they do care about is that you don't have rips in your, you know, upholstery and that the ceiling isn't leaking. Like, you know, you got to be in a, in in an overhead, an office, a brick and mortar space that is, you know, tenable, we'll call it. But you don't have to go into all this big high overhead. The other thing that you don't want to do is go in and get a bunch of equipment. That's what, that's what, what got me into trouble is Mm -hmm. I got all this, I was in debt, all this equipment. And then I had to do, I worked so hard to make this, the income to come in to cover that overhead. So watch those overhead expenses. And, you know, sometimes I had somebody tell me it was years later, but that person said to me, you know, sometimes the, the way that marketers will get you is they'll say, you know, well, one bottle is X, but if you buy 20 bottles, you're going to save this much money and your brain thinks savings. Oh, I'm going to save money. So I'll buy the 20. But how many times have we bought 20 things of something or, you know, two, you know, adjuster thing, whatever, you know, um, or four or 10, and then you end up don't use them or they go bad. You have to return them. And so get only what you need. Even in the beginning, don't, don't overstock your business with all this inventory. Don't go heavy thinking you need a social media person. You got to have a front desk, two front desk people. You have to have a back office, a CA in the back. Like you don't have to have all that. You can run a very lean operation. The other thing to watch out for are subscriptions. They will eat you alive. So I recommend quarterly, all of my um, community, the doctors that I coach and do business coaching with, I always tell them, you got to be looking at those subscriptions once a quarter, what kind of annual things come through, like things like Canva and Netflix. And what if you have Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV and prime and, and, and you have all these subscriptions, wait a minute, let's see if we can pare this down. And you think, well, it's only $12, but you go 12 times four or five or six of those that you can pair out of your budget. And then you oh. multiply that over the course of the year and it adds up. So true. So true. Um, we, that's one thing that we try to do as well. Sometimes we don't always do always the best job. We find ourselves, Oh man, I should have canceled that one a while ago. Yeah, you know, so exactly. that's well said. Another yeah. thing that's uh, it just brought back. I can't remember the exact quote, but I think it was from Mark Cuban. He said, you know, if the original price is two seventy five, but if you buy today, you get for 200, you didn't save 75, you still spent 200. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. That's so, exactly right. So very well said there. Yep. Excellent. Uh, one of the things that you have a serious track record of, and it was evident in that first clinic where you had said you had a lean machine, the team was all congruent, everyone was on mission, on brand. I'd love to dive down that path today and talk a little bit about hiring team management, you know, how to leverage employees to create revenue, like how to get the most out of people. You seem to have just an absolute natural skill to do that. And so I was curious and kind of, you know, where does someone begin? Someone's like, Hey, I got one staff member, or maybe I don't have any staff members, right? Like what's the hiring process? What should I look for? Like, what's this recipe here? Yep. So it's such a great question. One that I think 
I see so many practitioners struggle with because what they'll do in order to keep overhead low is put an ad out. And if you're breathing and you may be cute and you're kind and you have your own car that runs, then you're hired. And they pay the bottom of the barrel because we have a very minimalist mindset rather than thinking expansion and growth. And how can I leverage this person? We think, well, I'm just going to pay them the bare minimum. And then the person doesn't work out and they're chewing gum and checking their phone and not returning phone calls, but you're paying them $20 an hour. Well, you're going to get a 20, 18, 20, depending on where you are in the country. You, that's what, that's what you're going to get for that. So my first rule with hiring is number one, you have to be crystal clear about your core values. And the reason that I say that is most people, you know, you hear core values and you think, oh, geez, here she goes into the airy, fairy, weird world. But here's why this is important. Core values are a reflection of you as a business owner. You as a business owner have things that just irritate the fire out of you if it doesn't happen. So one of them for me is I get so mad when I have bad customer service makes me so mad. I actually will, if I'm not watching myself, I will turn into the nasty customer. I'm not proud of that, but it happens once in a while. And I get so mad. Like I am I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to pay for my things at whatever store. And you're being rude to me. What is this about? I'm paying yourself. See, do you hear it in my voice? I get me so mad. So a core value for me is the people in my world have to have what? exceptional customer service. That's me. Now you might be listening and you're like, oh yeah, I don't really care about that. Okay, fine. It's not your core value. You want to find the things that make you would, you would get out of the shower dripping wet with shampoo in your hair to put your flag in the sand about that. What are the things that make you who you are uniquely? Those are what are the, I call them the guardrails of your business. So if you think of a bridge, we're going over the bridge, the guardrails on the left and the right, keep me in the business, right? I'm going down here. My guardrails are fun. We have to be able to have fun. I'm not doing it. If it's not fun, not doing it. Customer service is a core value for me. Excellence is another core value for me. Like what I put out is not going to have spelling errors and typos to the best of my ability. And it's going to be over the top or better. Like it's going to be way up high. That's a core value for me. So the first thing you want to do is when you've defined those core values, probably I would say no more than six. That is what you hire. You hire to the core value instead of just choosing the girl who's kind and cute and, you know, has her own car and dependable transportation. You want to find someone who wants to be in your culture. They want to be in your, they're passionate about chiropractic. They're passionate about, in my world, wellness. They're passionate about helping because I had a dad that was in a car accident and the dad went to the chiropractor and the chiropractor saved the dad. And now the daughter is like, yes, I love chiropractic. And that person is, resonates or aligns with your core values. So when you hire someone, you always want to hire someone that can hang with the core values. Like for me, being on time is important. That's a core value for me. If you show up late to your interview, I'm automatically going to not talk to you because mm -hmm. it's a core value. So first you want to make sure that you know what those core values are. You hire someone into the core value, someone who can hang in your culture. 
The second thing, you have to be super clear about what you want them to do and who you want them to be. I always say you can teach someone any skill, but you cannot teach personality. And so if the personality just grates you the wrong way, you just like, you know how sometimes you just meet somebody and you, you just go, Hmm, nope. It's not the, just not the vibe. It's not the vibe. And it's not that you're mean or you're unkind, but just doesn't jam. You don't, don't jam. You got to find that, that employee that you go, I genuinely like you. And here's the question that I ask myself. So this stays just right here with us, but I always ask myself, could I spend a weekend with this person? Mm -hmm. Could I spend a weekend with this person? Or do I, when I think that thought, do I automatically get irritated inside? Then my answer is no, I will not hire them. Like I'm kind of hard, but I'm hard because I don't want to have to rehire. So much work. I, it's so much work. So I would rather hire right the first time and know that I've got the right person. So that those are kind of my criteria. I first hire into core values always. Second thing, I make sure I'm really clear on what they have to do, but even more so who they need to be. They need to be kind. And that's going to fit with the core values, right? If a core value for me is kindness, then I'm going to hire someone who's kind. But if you are mean and you're reading my job ad, and I'm very clear that we are kind in our world, then the mean person is going to be like, I'm not hanging out there because I don't want to be kind. So you've mm-hmm. just filtered your person. You don't get resume spam that way. So those are kind of my top, like my top three things. I, I could that. keep going, but no, um, that's no, f- absolutely phenomenal. I look at uh, kind of the second, that was like two things there. One is the values and then who they are. And then, you know, really like who you need them to be and kind of what they operate, like their operating system. You Correct. Know? Can, I spend a, could I spend a weekend with them? You know, yep. I always like to think about like um, a skill will combination. So like, do they have yeah. the skills to do the role, but then also do they have the will, right? Do yeah. they want to do the role? Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. where like, from like a, I'm going to take it back to acquisition here. Cause that's what the show is known for. So like when people are ultimately like getting people on the phone, so like, let's say you hired an employee to manage the phones and that person gets hung up on and they come to you and they complain about being hung up on and they're making cold calls, probably not the right will because right. the person who's dialing the phone, the expectation is that, Hey man, probably going to get hung up on every once in a while. So there's probably a will mismatch there. They might be skilled on the phone, but if they can't handle the outcome of some of the non-favorable calls then the will, you know what I mean? So that's excellently well said. So you've got this, this this framework of hiring. Okay. Let's start with the core values. Then we'll make sure we have the right operating system. They have the desire to do the role. Who do we need this person to be in the business? Right. What's the big secret to retention though? Right. Because it's Mm -hmm. like, Hey man, even if I am good at getting people in here, like, What's the big secret to keeping them? That's such a good question. And I think it used to be when I was younger, it was different when I was in my thirties and I'm 60. And when I was in my thirties, the retention, the things that I would focus on to retain that generation of employees that were coming in was very different than it is now. The employees that we're looking at are these younger kids. That's, that's like 40, 40 to 50% of the workforce are these gens, you know, we Mm -hmm. got the gen X, the gen Z, the gen Y all, I call them the gens and these gens, they are interested in culture. Okay. What is the culture? They're interested in the mission. 
and they want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. Money is not necessarily the motivator. For me, as when I was young and I was getting a job, it was all about the money. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you just got your hour. I didn't give a rat's rear end what we were doing. I just wanted to get paid. Now these, these, and I'm going to call them kids, but only just respectfully because of my age, but these kids are now coming in and the, the, the time for me, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I'm at the very tail end of the baby boomers. And for me, my work ethic is if I give you my word, I will do it. If I shake your hand, it's a done deal. I don't need a bank contract to tell you I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. It's my word. That's how we grew up. That's what we are. These kids are not like this. So to retain them, we have to create an environment that they really want to be in. And that means as a leader that we have to show up differently. We just have to lead differently now. And we have to lead by being interested in what they're interested in. Now, honestly, for me, sometimes it makes me crazy because I'm not interested in what they're, I don't care. I mean, like get the thing that's we're here to work. Like, I don't need to know about who you went to a barbecue with. Let's just go. We're going to, I don't care, but I can't lead like that. I have to lead and be involved and I have to create an environment and a culture where they really want to be there. And so it's about like, what's our mission? Like we're out to like, not just fix everybody's fine. We're not out for that. What is the real underlying cause? What is the mission that they can get behind? Once you've established that, and then you create a kind environment, like, you know, you as a leader, you gotta be nice. You gotta, you gotta sit down and say, Hey, how was your weekend? What'd you do? Where'd you go? And in my mind, sometimes I think, Oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I roll. Like, I don't want to be having this conversation, but it's important to them. And those are the people that will stay. So I have five full-time people, well, four full-time and one part-time uh, on my team. And they don't ever go anywhere. They're not going anywhere because they love, love, love the culture in amongst themselves. So that that responsibility falls on the leader. You have to be kind. You got to up up-level your leadership game. And you have to really show that you care. You can't just march in and bark orders and expect them to do the job. You have to equip them, train them, and let them know that you care and you care about the things that they care about. Let them have their own vision within yeah. the organization. That's you know? exactly right. Yep. I love that. It was funny too, like, you know, you'd mentioned like keeping like the gens and the younger tribe, right? Culture, mission, want to be part of something bigger than themselves. I think people like, if you're listening, no hard feelings, but like most people are so damn far off the ball. They don't even, they don't have a mission. They don't have any culture. They, they yeah. All they think about is like, these people just want to be paid more than I'm willing to pay. But it's That's like, it. they might actually be willing to take what you're offering. You just have the worst culture we've ever seen because it's non-existent. You know what I mean? They'll so, take less money to your point, Jeff. They'll take less money. Sometimes the pay isn't as important as the environment. Mm -hmm. And so you, they'll, they'll, they're, they're happy to have less in order to wake up in the morning and have a job that they love and be treated with respect and kindness. No one wants an pardon me, a-hole for a boss. Don't be right. that guy. Don't be that person. But when you, when you're kind and you treat them kindly and you buy them lunch, like, you know, my daughter, my, the, the one that had cancer, she owns a multi-million dollar business that she started from the ground up and she does Friday lunches and everybody loves Friday lunch. And if somebody stops by, they call ahead and go, we're coming over for Friday lunch. Sometimes she'll buy lunch for 20 people. She didn't care. It's Friday lunch. 
Yes. And it's just part of the culture and the, their employees, they love it. Sometimes they'll say, can I invite my mom for Friday lunch? Sure. Bring mom on over. Let's have Friday lunch. And that's like the culture that she's created. So what kind of, my question would be, what kind of culture can you create where people want to be there? You want to be, have the chiropractic practice where people in town are like, oh, you get to work there. You get to work there. Oh my gosh. I bet you love it. That's what you want. That's amazing. Such a good way to like describe it too, you know? So we've talked a little bit about, okay, how we got here, finding team, attracting the right team, keeping the team. What's the secret to maximum efficiency within the office, right? So like, obviously you have KPIs, you have accountabilities, right? Mm -hmm. We talk pretty deeply about ramping and onboarding people and how important that is in an employer-employee relationship. Yeah. From from your perspective, you know, what are some things that you have seen that have really improved the output of your team? I think that the, to your point, the onboarding process cannot be overemphasized. The way that you onboard a person sets the tone for the rest of their employment. You want them to leave on day one and go home and tell their spouse, partner, friends, whatever, say, Oh my gosh, you cannot even believe what happened today. There were fresh flowers on the desk with my name on them. They had lunch delivered for me. There was a special name thing that had my name on it and a little thing with like, you just want to show them that they are so welcome there and then have a plan for when you onboard them. And I'm sure, Jeff, that you talk about like the importance of systems and having those systems in the practice. But I I would heartily second that because if you've got an onboarding that allows you to say, okay, today we're going to work on this, like an agenda in a meeting. When you onboard someone today, here's the checklist you're going to work through today. We don't just sit somebody in a desk, give them the, you know, password to the computer and say, here's a couple sheets, you know, work through them, answer the phone. Here's the script. And then, you know, let me know if you have any questions. It's that onboarding should be at least in a front desk position, a week to two weeks. Okay. And there has to be some kind of like a plan. You got to have a plan going in. And that makes them stay. That's one thing that I would say my team would all say was that the onboarding process that we do is exceptional and they feel loved and taken care of, but they also feel equipped to do the job because we took the time to teach them first step. Here's how you open the office. Here's exactly how we want to do it. Here's a checklist. It's safe for them. They're happy. They know exactly what to do and what you expect because your employees want to make you happy. They want to do the right thing. And if they don't, then you fire them, right? They, they're just not a good fit, but mm. you create those kinds of systems and that creates safety and structure for the team member, but it also gives you a benchmark to be able to gauge their performance. And so the better you onboard them, the better able they are to follow the systems and then you don't have to worry about it so much. So I, I think that's a secret right there. They stay when they feel loved and cared for, and you've created a system for them to feel comfortable and safe inside. Yes. Well said. And about KPIs, you know, transitioning to like, okay, you hire, you know, let's just say you hire a front desk, they have responsibilities, they're required to, you know, KPIs, metrics, whatever that is, they follow the system to hit those KPIs. 
Are you a believer in performance-based compensation inside of any of these, you know, any office whatsoever? And if so, kind of how would you go about structuring somebody who's new to performance-based compensation? Ooh, I love this question. Yes, I'm a big fan of performance-based compensation. So let me tell you, uh, we have not yet implemented this in our own business, but I have been working on this for months and we are going to implement this in quarter four of this year. I've done it a lot of ways. I've done it based on revenue, where everybody gets a percentage of revenue. I like to do it where it's the whole team revenue for the team. So if you have several practitioners, it's everybody working towards the same goal. And then their percentage of that of that revenue bonus, uh, that calculation of like over above this X dollar amount revenue that covers your overhead and staff, whatever everything over this, then it gets divided up. 10% of that profit gets divided up between the employees based on the percentage of hours or time they worked. So that takes a little bit of time and calculation to figure out, et cetera. But here's the new way that I'm going to do it that I like better because it's based on their own individual performance. So what we're going to do this starting in Q4 and for my team, if you're listening to this, sorry, I didn't mean to let the cat out of the bag for you this way, but hang on. So uh, what we're going to do is every quarter I do uh, a sit down before the quarter begins, a sit down with each of my team and we have a scorecard. And this scorecard is broken into three sections. We have objectives, strategies, and KPIs. So there are three objectives. What are the three key objectives of the position? So let's just take a front desk, for example. Let's say a key objective is to hand write a note to every single person that has been in the practice in the last nine months. That's an objective. You're going to just do that kind of personal kind of outreach. The strategy for that would be buy the note cards, get the stamps, decide on the color of pen, write a few different scripts so that, you know, we don't have somebody misspelling a word or whatever. And then the KPI is, you know, how many of you actually did and sent and how can you verify that? So you, you do that. Everybody gets three objectives. So whatever the position is, so you have a, a practitioner that works with you, they have objectives. They may be sales objectives. They may be performance. They may be doing a big project, refiling, resorting, going from paper to digital, whatever it is. At the end of the quarter, then there's an evaluation. I get to evaluate their performance. And they self-evaluate their performance. So I can see where our mismatch is because, you know, my front desk person might say, oh, I was a 10 all the way. And I'm looking at it going, no, sweetheart, this is a four. We got a problem. So I didn't communicate well, or she didn't understand well, something broke down there. So there's self-evaluation, my evaluation. And then here's the best part. They get a percentage of their wage paid back as a bonus. So if they made, let's say you pay someone $4,000 a month. So at the end of the quarter, they've been paid $12,000. And I said, I'm going to pay them up to 20% of their wage. That would be $2,400. Well, I'm going to score them. And so I'm going to evaluate them. If they get all tens, you know, they rocked it, they killed it, they nailed all their objectives. They were a, a good contributor to the team. They came up with innovative ideas, like decide the things that you want to see in your team. And you make that part of the evaluation. 
And if they score all the way, I'm going to give them the full 20% of their, of their salary. So they're going to get a bonus of $2,400 at the end because they've helped me grow the business. It's based on their own performance and what they and I have agreed that they're going to do. Not sales, not because everybody should be driving sales anyway, but you build that into the objectives. But for them, it's based on their own personal contribution to the business, not how many patients can I get in the door or in my world, like how many supplements are we going to sell or how many decompression packages, chiropractic packages. It's about them personally. And I'm helping them grow as a human. And then I'm rewarding them for their contribution to the business. Absolutely brilliant. I know. I'm super excited I, about this one. You're going to be, you're going to love that too. In fact, just, just for clarity too, like that's exactly how we structure ours too, because at the end of the nice. day, like, cause it's like, if you could have, for example, if you had somebody like in a chiropractic business and somebody was on the phone, taking appointments, confirming them, taking information, getting people in the door, and then they're getting bonus based on, you know, sales or closes or revenue production. And let's say this provider can't close the door. They have very little revenue because the patient experience that the doctor takes them through is very poorly designed exactly. and there's not exactly. a lot of revenue. Well, then this person's over here like, well, I did all my work, but you can't close anyone. Exactly. So I'm getting this rewarded because, or I'm not rewarded because you can't do your thing, you know? Right. Right. And that's what we always teach you is like the high performer wants to be rewarded for things that they have full control over. You exactly. Know? Yep. That's exactly right. So three objectives per quarter, how are you going to do it? That's the strategy. And then KPI is how you're going to measure it. And then I give, I have a list of 20 things that I'm going to rate them on. Three of them are those KPIs. And the other 17 things are, how did you contribute to the team? Mm -hmm. You know, how were you as a person? Were you kind, you know, did you show up on time? Did you contribute with new great ideas? You know, did you take advantage of the, you know, our 401k benefit? Like I, I, I want to reward them for behavior. I want them to have, mm -hmm. did you get adjusted once a week? Right. Right. Did you get adjusted once a week? And that incentivizes them to do that because I want them to, because then they can talk about it at the front desk. Right. Like actual yeah. experience. Yeah. Living and breathing, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's absolutely brilliant. Uh, you're definitely a wealth of knowledge in the hiring business sector, you know, and as you said, before we started our show, you know, you've earned it because of the background, you know? So that's absolutely brilliant. You had, um, you'd mentioned that there might be, uh, and we're going to get to like, you know, where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. But you'd mentioned before we started that there might be a free resource you'd be yes. interested in providing the listeners. Would you like to share a little bit about that for us? Yes. Yeah. So because this hiring, you know, conversation is always such a bugaboo, you know, doctors don't, they want to pay the bottom of the barrel. I typically will pay anywhere from 15 to 20% over what the average is. But that's if I found someone that is I mean, they are in the guardrails. They got my core values. They're smart. They can handle, like I have every reason to believe that they're going to be successful and they're going to help me drive my business forward. Like they got to drive my economic engine at that front desk or whatever the position is. Um, I pay 15 to 20% more than the, than the industry average. So people are always wanting to work for me because I'm going to pay more, but I expect more. And so it, 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 it ends up working out. So what, what my team and I did was we created a hiring guide and it walks, it will walk your doctors through step by step by step. 
exactly what to do to hire from creating the job, you know, creating your core values to writing the job post. And then you post it on like Indeed or ZipRecruiter or, you know, wherever you're going to post it. And one of the things that we do, um, I'll share this because it's included in here in this hiring guide is I make them send me a three minute video telling me why they would be really good for the position. And the reason that I do that is because it saves me so much time because I can see right away from a video, how are they interacting? Are they confident? How are they dressed? If I'm hiring for a front desk position and you are in your bathing suit, read the room, sweetheart, not going to be a good fit, darling. Love you. Love your bathing suit. Super cute. But I don't think you're going to be a good fit. So I can tell so much from these videos and I usually will instantly take the pool of people down by 50% with these videos. Mm -hmm. I also put a, a trap door in the job ad. And if they don't read the whole job ad and get to the bottom and read the trap door, in other words, I'm giving them very specific instruction. If you believe that this is a perfect job for you, these are the steps you follow. If they don't follow those exact steps and they just resume spam me, then why would I hire them? They didn't care enough to read my job and get to the bottom. So I got a bunch of trap doors in there that help get you. So it saves you time because you won't have to do. That's the worst part, I think, is the interviews. You know, they're just the there a time suck. Oh yeah. Big time. So this will save all of that. You'll end up only interviewing about three people and mm -hmm. you might have 50 to 75 people that'll apply. And you'll end up at the end being able to qualify down, qualify, qualify. You just put them through the funnel, 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 and you get down to the top two, three candidates at the end. So that's what this hiring guide does. It even has a reject letter, an email template that you can use. Wow. Brilliant. Um, yeah. It's just pretty much got everything that you're going to need to take from the first idea of wanting to hire somebody all the way through to that offer letter at the very end. And I'm happy, happy to share it. Honored, honored. That's going to be a brilliant resource. I'm even going to take a look, see it my, a little bit myself at that too. You know, that's the yeah, thing too, is like you always just take in from different in individuals and say, Hey, like you're strong in this, you're strong in that. And anyone listening to the show, the expectation is that they're looking to get better, you know, and that resource is going to do just that for them. And so yeah. Dr. Rhonda, I appreciate you being on here today. You and I could honestly talk for probably like six, seven more hours on this show. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Someone's listening. They're like, I really resonated with Dr. Rhonda. I love the way she you know, carries herself, her energy, her passion to the profession. Where could someone find you if they want to learn more and converse with you? So my website is rondanelson.com. And uh, I would be happy if you just need a little bit of a boost in your business, you're just looking for somebody to get in and help you a little bit deeper with those systems or hiring, or you just want to consult with me, you can do all of that from my website. So it's rondanelson.com. I also have a podcast and Jeff was a guest on my podcast just Ooh. a week, week or so ago. Yeah. So that's going to be coming up really soon. So you all be sure you listen for that. And then uh, the hiring guide, you can get that at rondanelson.com forward slash hiring guide. Super easy. Easy. I will make sure that that is linked out for everybody in the show notes. Just let one quick, you said rondanelson.com forward slash hiring guide. Correct. Beautiful. We'll make sure that's linked out there for everybody. Rhonda, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I look forward to hopefully getting a chance to revisit in the future on more things, all business. We talked a lot about hiring and that kind of stuff today, but like yeah. I said, I think we could keep the conversation going for a pretty long time. So Absolutely. majorly appreciate you being here today and sharing your wealth of knowledge. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Take care now. Bye guys.